The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. They do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God, truth, and staying relevant from the perspective of a tenured experience. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is an external ministry of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and a member of their Vigilance Radio Network, a part of Vigilance.blog, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. If you're interested in today's topics or just staying relevant, go ahead and check out Vigilance.blog, or you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Truth Time. ABF. I am Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. Welcome to Truth Time. I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to be continuing our discussion of spiritual gifts as we look at the Christ factor. So one of the things that we've been talking about, clearly a dynamic aspect of how it is that we live our lives, is to understand that uh, when God um, allowed us to become adopted into his family, when we are now disciples of Christ, we have died to sin, we are alive to him, and we live to bring glory to his name. It's not like we're uh, lone wolves or we're out on our own, but rather the Holy Spirit equips us in a number of ways. He equips us with the uh, fruit of the Spirit, where we see that working in our life and the uh, effect of the Holy Spirit uh, being involved in helping us to make decisions, involved in understanding God's Word, involving the uh, the learning the difference between um, you know, better and best. I mean, all of those things are works of the Holy Spirit as he draws us closer to an understanding of what it means to uh, be disciple of Christ and to live that God might be glorified through how we live. But then there's the other thing that we're equipped with, which that each member of the body of Christ um, has a spiritual gift. And that, uh, that you may have more than one, but you will definitely have at least one which dominates how it is that you, uh, how it is that you perceive things and how it is that you act out uh, in the body of Christ, that the body of Christ might be glorified. So just the Apostle Paul gives illustration of the fact that, that we are a body and that each one of us are unique to the body in that nobody, not everybody can be an eye. Not everybody can be a hand. Not everybody can be a knee or a foot or a toe or whatever. Um, but rather, uh, the body is integral and all of the parts work together so that we might accomplish uh, things for the Lord. So we've been going through and we've been talking about the different spiritual gifts which are, um, which are present in the body. And we left off uh, last week talking about exhortation, what it means to exhort, to come alongside, and to uh, help people um, when they're struggling and working through um, the things that they need to be doing in the body of Christ. And so we want to continue to um, uh, further our discussion as we look at the gift of administration. Now, just for for uh, remembrance sake, remember that, that what... 
my position is that the best way to understand spiritual gifts is to understand them in within uh, categories where you have uh, motivated spiritual gifts, which is what we're talking about, those gifts that motivate an individual and uh, in how it is that they perceive and react to things in life. You have manifestative spiritual gifts, which are given by the Holy Spirit, and we'll be talking about some of those manifestative spiritual gifts as the Spirit deems necessary so that the body of Christ might function. And then you have enabling gifts. And so we're talking about uh, the different motivative spiritual gifts. And so we're going to continue our discussion with looking at the gift of administration. Now, if you're a person that, that uh, loves to organize things and you love things to be in order, and you have a knack for delegating tasks so that they might get done, um, then you are an organizer. If you don't, if you don't like things that are in, in uh, chaos and uh, disruptive, and you have the ability to take uh, whatever the situation may be, you have the ability to take a task, you have the ability to take and to break it down into parts so that you know what parts need to go where before you begin to work through the task, then you're a person that, uh, and, and that, that's what drives you, then you're a person that would have the gift of administration. And an administrator uh, does a couple of things, as I said. First of all, they take uh, whatever the task might be, and they're able to break it down into smaller parts. And they break it down into smaller parts so that the overall goal might be accomplished, but nobody accomplishes a large goal without taking small steps towards it. One of the things we talk about when we, uh, when I talk to people about, um, well, you know, when we're doing life coach type things, and I'm talking about, okay, so what, how do you, how do you accomplish this? One of the things that we'll talk about is that um, you have to have a, uh, an overall objective or a goal that you want to meet, and then you have smaller steps that you're taking in order to achieve the larger objective. And uh, the administrator has the ability to be able to do that. Also, the administrator has the ability to not only take those overall objectives that are there and set reachable goals, but the administrator has a knack for being able to not feel that they have to do things themselves in order to accomplish, but they have the ability to guide people so that people will listen to them and take their input and to delegate uh, responsibilities towards achieving the the short-term goals for a long-term objective. And that's kind of what the gift of administration is, is somebody who has the ability to do those things. You want to add anything to that, Josh? Just the administrators are just, I mean, I, it's true with all gifts, right, is that they're really necessary, but administrators have a much more obvious um, necessity within the body of Christ. And oftentimes they can be a real pain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because they're the type of people who have a, they have a picture for what the order of something should be like. Um, and so sometimes it seems like they don't understand vision, but really that's not what it is. They're more like architects, right? So they, they, they plot out how vision can be accomplished. Right. Right. And when things are not, when things are not falling to within the parameters of what they, what they have for a vision, then they get cranky. Yeah. And you know every every spiritual gift has has its sort of offsets um, things that other spiritual gifts don't like, but it's a great gift to work with. Right. You know, it's it's really important for the prophet. Um, it's really important for like the pastor teacher. Like that that's a really like strong gift to work with because you take those people who have um, a lot of vision. You know. 
and then you give them something to you give them somebody who can take that vision and sort of build it from the ground up say okay this is how you accomplish that vision mm -hmm. it's really good for the evangelist um yeah so yeah and make no mistake that when you're talking about uh, the local body functioning as it should be you need to have somebody with the gift of administration to help the body to function the way it needs to yeah it's one of the first gifts i would say that you look for when you're trying to to pivot a um sort of a, a bible study into a church for instance right, right. is you want to find somebody who can organize really really well and that person then um has the plan the plan to make it happen so you they just got to make sure that they're subservient to people with the vision uh, everybody's obviously subservient to god the bible all of those things but um yeah that person is really 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 important the the architect of the architect of the outworking of that vision yeah so if you're i mean this is a great gift from the standpoint that uh, not in your personal life as well as your professional life this can be a gift which can be very beneficial to you have you ever gone into somebody's house and find you know they have they have uh you know they have no messy rooms and they've got all their stuff packed into little uh tupperware <laughs> tupperware sure. containers and it's like you know it's it's disgusting. Yeah, there's usually <laughs> there's usually a certain utilitarian understanding of things. They're the person who will say, "No, you don't need that. Throw it away." Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? That's that's and and oftentimes what you find in churches, I've found anyway, in churches that really don't have their administration down is that you have you have churches that are running with nobody who says that, right. you know, whether it be whether it be this program needs to go away or whether it be, you know, that the church needs to be cleaned or whether it, you know, you need somebody who's going to say, this thing needs to go away. You're not using it. Get rid of yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you've got churches that in their, in a room someplace, they still have a stencil machine. Yeah. Or they still have uh, an overhead they projector. Still an overhead projector. Or the, and it's like, you know, Get rid of that stuff. You don't yeah. need that stuff anymore. So really a necessary gift. So that's the gift of administration. It's a wonderful gift to be able to help the, the church to be able to focus and to move forward. And, and, and it's an easy gift to pick on because those people seem just incredibly neurotic. Right. Right? But but make those people part of the solution. That's what I'm saying. Like somebody comes along and they say, you know... And they're like constantly nitpicking, oh, here's a better way to do this. Here's a better way to do this. Yeah, maybe they need to stop with here's a better way and, you know, learn language that's going to not, you know, bother you. But again, they're not a person with the gift of exhortation. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so you need to like understand them for who they are and think, oh, maybe it is a better way. Yeah. Do I have an administrator already? Maybe God's giving you an administrator and you just need to suck it up and thank him for somebody that's going to take the vision and, and you know, walk it in the right direction. Right. So um, the next gift that we want to look at is we want to look at the, uh, the gift of giving. And this is an actual motivated spiritual gift. There are there are going to be people inside of your body who love to give. They love to give financially. They love to give of themselves, but they love to give financially in particular. Uh, they don't want to be sung with all kinds of glory and stuff. They want to do it anonymously, and they want to give people. And so when a need is expressed inside the body of Christ... Um, they're going to be people that will respond to that need and uh, give as they're able to give financially. And that's their motivation to, to be able to get great joy out of being able to, uh, to give. And I will just tell you that, you know, not everybody within the body of Christ has this gift. We, 
we you know we are we are commanded to be generous with one another and we are commanded to give as needs present themselves but the person who has the gift of giving is a person who uh, doesn't really feel bad about it in fact they take great joy in being able to do so there are uh, there are other gifts which are operative in the body of Christ that that particular person uh, gets no joy out of giving it's not that they're stingy it's just that they don't get a great deal of joy out of giving. They'll give, they'll tithe like they're supposed to, and they'll give as need presents itself, but that's not what drives them. I had a young, uh, I had a young uh, person ask me the other day, you know, if I liked to give. And I, <laughs> I said, no, I don't like to give. I do give. And I give as, uh, as you know, as there's uh, the ability to, but I don't like to give. I don't get any great joy out of it. My wife, on the other hand, she has a gift of giving, and she loves to give. And she, she you know, she gives, gets great joy out of being able to secretly give to various things because that's, where the, that's one of the things the Lord has put in our heart. Well, we should make it clear, though, that we are all commanded to joyfully give what we do give. Oh, yeah, I stated that already. <laughs> I think that there's a distinction between the extraordinary giving versus general giving. Well, as Christians, we're, as Christians, we're commanded to give, to give to each other, to give of ourselves. And we're not to give... And we're not to give begrudgingly. Yeah, and that's the point I'm making. As Christians, but don't expect me to smile every time that I give. Okay, as Christians, we're commanded to give on a on a general level, and we're not supposed to give begrudgingly. And that giving should bring joy to our hearts. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody who has an extraordinary compulsion to give. Right. And that giving goes above and beyond. So a person with the gift of giving is not somebody who does his duty as a Christian to, you know, give to other believers. You know, the, the scripture is really clear. Like, if any one of you has a need, you are supposed to give to that person as you can. Not as you want to, but as you are able to, right? The difference is that the person with the gift of giving is a person who goes out of their way because they feel compelled to give to that person oftentimes beyond what they are able to. Well, that's one of those things that, you know, every, every gift has things, pitfalls that you need to be careful of. And for the person who has the gift of giving, they sometimes will give beyond their means and then they can't meet their means responsibly. Now, what they will say, and, and what I have had thrown at me many years by my wife, as I said, who loves to give, is that, you know, the Lord God provides. will provide. And, she, and she's right. He provided you. Yeah. <laughs> he provided sure. you to sure. fund her, her extraordinary giving. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> she's not wrong. But but I yeah, but I'm the uh so I allow her to have all the joy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's the gift of giving. If you have that gift, that's a wonderful gift. Um you know, what you can pray for is again is uh, learning to use your gift responsibly. Now, if you don't have the blessing of having a uh, a spouse, or uh, like uh, like Bill Gates or somebody who just has more money than they know what to do with, then uh, you know. Then again, you need to be responsible in how it is you exercise your gift and not um, put yourself in debt. Well, let's be clear about that. There's a so. Huh? Yeah. Let's 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 try to let's try to unpack that that a little more. That's fine. Because the, the responsibility of the Christian is to give. Unlock and sometimes, sometimes that requires sacrifice, right? And sometimes that will require somebody going into debt so that the needs of another can be taken care of. So what do you think about that? Well, I, personally, where I come from is I feel that that would be irresponsible. So, you know, if, 
if God is, my feeling is, if God is compelling me to give to meet somebody's need, and I have to go in debt in order to meet that need, then I'm being irresponsible of how it is that I give. On the other hand, what I would what I would take before God is to pray, God, if you really want me to meet this need, then you will provide uh, the ability to be able to do so. And whether that somebody dies and leaves me an inheritance, or I find 20 bucks on the ground, or somebody gives me a tip, or whatever it is, um, then God's going to meet that need and use me as the vehicle to, to transmit it. That's more responsible to, as far as I'm concerned. So do you think that a person who... How, how do you take into... How do you reconcile the faith aspect of that? That God is going to provide. Well, so I think I think what you're saying is that God will be that when God is faithful in in that. So say you pray about it. You, somebody needs twenty bucks or whatever. You pray about it. You find twenty bucks. Then in then you're going to acknowledge that God provided that specific to what you prayed for, right? That's what yeah, I'm hearing. Yeah. So that's one way of being faithful. Right. The other way of being faithful, though, would be if somebody needs twenty bucks, giving them twenty bucks that you don't have, and then allowing God to provide you the twenty bucks. Got no problem with that either, so long as you have the discipline to recognize that God provided that. 20 bucks whether it's before or after right so and that's that's what that's that's where i want to get into the clarification because i think i think the majority of times you see somebody giving in scripture you see somebody giving and creating a deficit wouldn't you agree and then god then filling that hole the examples that we have in scripture tend to be that yes okay so, so in that case... But there are also examples in Scripture that we're reminded that we need to be responsible. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that has to be reconciled. It's just what, what is responsibility in regard to faith? Well, I mean, that's something that the person with the gift of giving has to reconcile before the Lord and how it is that works in their personal life. Yeah, but I have known people that have the gift of giving who have actually put themselves in into debt uh, to the tone of several several thousand dollars. Do you think that that's because I it, think that's very irresponsible? Well, now as a person who actually moonlights or whatever, I don't know if you'd call it moonlighting. <laughs> I don't. It's it's your chosen profession now. As a person who moonlights as a professor of finances, right? Well, I cover fine i yes i teach finances as part of business yes okay so a professor of business whatever mm -hmm. if i guess it's not whatever um but as a person you know who does that um do you when you look at these situations do you think that it's the the autopsy of that person's finances do you think that that reveals that they're um that the issue has to do with the an issue of capital allocation or is it an issue of them um, mismanaging finances? Well, my observation is, is that most people are having difficulty with finances don't have the basics down to begin with. So they don't operate off a budget. They don't understand what it is it needs to be budgeted. And they don't use that as a basis for their life decisions in regard to finance. Right. On the other hand, if you have somebody who understands budgeting, you have somebody who understands how much money they make, what their bills are, what the difference is or the variance is, the leeway, then um, that person has, is, 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 it's easier for them to be able to um, give over and above when they know what, what it is is going on. Right. So, would you? So, but when I you, just can't. I, when you look at that situation, and a person is a person's gone into several thousands of dollars of debt because they're just giving and giving and giving, is that a mismanagement issue? Nine times out of ten, or nine times out of ten, yes. So it's not necessarily because they're giving. Like if they were managing their money correctly, they could probably give and 
sustain. Just, just, yes, but just like any other spiritual gift, this particular gift has its its pitfalls, and one of the pitfalls is that you that you can become irresponsible with your money, right? And you need to be careful that you don't do that. So that's right. So that's you need to respect the resource that you have. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And 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 you don't. And and here's the deal: where it gets really, really, um, you have to be careful. Is that you know there are people that pray that God will provide resource uh, in order to bail them out because of their irresponsibility. Yeah. Well, that's see, that's not uh, that's not good for me. Yeah, I think that there's a, I know I there's an equilibrium. Mm-hmm. I was going <laughs> to mm-hmm. mm-hmm. there's an equilibrium that you have to uh, address when you're dealing with this type of issue. So what I say is smart start small and pray that God provide and guide you so that you learn how to use your gift wisely. And then as you grow and mature, then you can be more and more bold in how it is that God uh, drives you in the exercising of that gift. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just thinking about that from the standpoint of the way that most people are, where it's like uh, when you start off with something, when you first really understand that you have it, you have this sort of honeymoon phase with it, right? Where you're more bold with it. Right. And then sometimes that leads to burn out or, or then it leads to like a slow simmer. And then sometimes, you know, it'll flare back up again. But yeah, what we're talking about is trying to avoid the flash in the pan of, right. of right. the use of your spiritual gift. We don't want that. That means that you, you did something wrong. You know, you, you set this, the heat too high. Yeah. You know, with each, with each spiritual gift that we're discussing, there are aspects of the spiritual gift that, that, require you to be an active participant in how it is that you um, understand the working of the spiritual gift and you can grow into maturity in its use. So for the person who, you know, has the gift of, uh, you know, of exhortation, that person can take some classes and can read some books and can learn some skills to help them be a good communicator so that they can come alongside somebody and uh, exhort them in such a way that God be glorified. You can participate in that. In the same way, you know, the, the, the prophet is somebody who can, again, take some classes, read some books, uh, talk with other prophets, uh, involve yourself in a forum, whatever, where you begin to understand uh, the art of communication in such a way that you, when you uh, deliver the truth, you don't water it down, but you don't knock somebody dead off of their feet because you overpower them. Each gift has an element to it that we have to be active participants in. And what I'm saying is, is in regard to the gift of giving, this is a gift where you can actively participate by learning some sound financial skills and using those to bring glory to God through your desire to give as you mature in your faith and in your, and in your giving. Yeah. And then the converse of this would be true too. Like at, like I said earlier, just as this gift is not the same thing as your duty as a Christian to give, the the not having this gift does then not free you up to not fulfill your duty as a Christian to give. Sure, <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. I don't give because I don't have the gift of giving. Oh well, you know that, <laughs> and that, that happens too. Like that, people are like that. That's you know? a big spiritual bovine excrement right there. That's yes, not, it is. That's nonsense. Yes, you know you, we've 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 already <laughs> we've already discussed the fact that you know 
just because you don't you're not driven by a particular gift doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean that you don't teach because you're not a teacher. Doesn't mean you don't lead because you don't have the gift of leadership. Doesn't mean that you don't keep a clean room because you don't have the gift of organization. organization. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly correct. Okay, let's do one more uh, let's do one more gift. Um, and then uh, we'll go ahead and jump into our next segment. So let's talk about the gift of service. Uh, just uh, <laughs> from from the standpoint of being able to get things done, a wonderful gift. This yeah. this individual uh, has the gift, or sometimes it's called the gift of helps, but the gift of service. And or this works, right? or works, yeah. This is a person who who can't help themselves but to jump in when things need to be done. Yeah. Moving stuff around, putting things away, washing dishes, trying to volunteer. Yeah, first of all, yeah, all of that. And they and it's not it's not like they do it begrudgingly. It's like that's they that's where they get a great joy is being able to help just do the practical things that need to be done within the body of Christ. Yeah. They like to see things accomplished. And uh, the, I think that they're one of the, so they're, they're one of the most on the face hard workers, you know, in the church. And everybody knows that person, the first one to volunteer, the first, the one they, the go to, mm-hmm. they're usually the first to be lifted into positions of deaconship, for instance. Um, they're the go to people in the church. And so, you know, them, Though they don't do the work begrudgingly, it is easy for them to basically become, because they're the go-to person, it's easy for them to become... Um, Burned out. Yeah, burnt. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, to, be, or to be overused yeah. beyond their maturity. Yeah, I that's mean, a good I, way of putting I, it. I, I, I knew an individual who had the gift of service... Uh, when he came to the church, and that's exactly what happened to him. And he was, you know, uh, always involved in things, and he was lifted up to the position of deacon, and he was just overworked to the point that after a while he rejected the church in, in being involved. Yeah. And that's really sad. Well, and it goes against where he wants to be because he wants to help people, but he doesn't want to be walked all over. Right. So it's right. not that, and it's not that he doesn't genuinely want to help people anymore. And so those are people. Again, these are these are what I would categorize as sort of the weaker gifts, the softer gifts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the person again who's you can tell him what to do, and he's going to do it. Um, that being said, they're the people who need to be protected right. because you know. They get used. Well, they need, and so the the downside for for this particular gift is this, this individual needs to learn to say no. Yeah, and it's very hard for them. Yeah, you know, to say no, and it so feels when, like it's going against their identity. Right, right. So when you're talking to one of these people and you're talking about you know a particular project that you need help or whatever, you know, you need to help them in giving them a way out. Yeah. So that if they don't, if they if they really can't do it because they have other responsibilities, other the 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 other thing that, that typically happens is they overcommit themselves. Yep. Yeah. And then they get frazzled because they've got you know all this stuff going on. So one way you can help them is to not is to give them a way out mm-hmm. and say you know if I'm asking you because I need some help, but if if you can't do this, right? I'll, I'm good with that. It's okay. And then, you know, let them feel that that's okay. Yeah, the other thing I would say is to, in terms of church team and teams, the other thing I would say is to pair them with, like, an organizer. Right. You know, right. somebody who's going to help them organize w- the projects that they're doing. Or um, an exhorter, somebody who's going to, like, cheer them along the way. Like, yeah, you know, gifts like that, those are gifts that are that are really helpful for them. Um, but it is, it's really important for those people to see projects through, you yeah. know, to see projects finished. And so hanging out with the visionary staff, maybe not the best, uh, 
maybe not what's best for them at all times because they could become really despondent because all they're seeing is like the visionary is seeing direction and hope and so on and so forth. Right. But the, the servant, the person with the gift of works or helps is seeing project after project after project after project and they they become overwhelmed (laughs) right and they become overwhelmed because they're looking at the big picture here's a hundred projects that i have to do and how am i going to do that and i have all these projects behind me that i have to do and all these projects on my plate right now and And they take ownership and they think that they have to be involved in every project right and it comes from wanting to do right right so it's that's a really difficult one um because they're they're the visible backbone of the church i i feel like in my experience it feels like the majority uh, again this is a feeling it's there's no statistic for it so don't think that's what i'm saying but it feels like the majority of churches have the gift of works as a majority base gift Mm -hmm. that's my 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 inclination my thought on it is that like not not that when God doesn't know what to do with you, he gives you the gift, the gift of works, of course, yeah. <laughs> but no, but the church, the church needs people to harvest, right? It needs farmers. It needs people who are going to tow the land, till the land. Um, and so the gift of works comes in really handy in that position. Grunts, right? Soldiers. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's a wonderful gift. So we've just got a couple more motivated gifts to deal with and then we'll talk a little bit more about um about manifestative gifts but let's close this section of our time together today and let's uh, have a little fun with uh what's up with that Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, in in our what's up with that section today, um, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff going on which are anomalous, and I try to I try to pick some things which are entertaining. You know, in in Michigan, uh, the uh, state appellate court uh, upheld uh, flipping somebody off as uh, as a free speech. Yeah. And totally is. (laughs) Yeah. And this is not to encourage my listeners to uh, give people the California Audi, Um, (laughs) (laughs) a a hillbillies, uh, you know, nod. But 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 according to uh, a three to one decision on the appellate court in the city. Yeah, of, Michigan, of course. You know, free speech. Yeah, it's and, absolutely uh, free speech. And, and how it came about is that you know a cop pulled uh, a lady over um, for uh, you know for for a traffic violation, and she was a little pissy at at the whole experience. But he gave her a lower fine, and when he drove off, she flipped him off. And so he pulled her over again and wrote her a ticket for the uh, more heavy fine. Two tickets or just one? Uh, two, so two tickets. The first one. Did it get second. thrown out? Well, yeah, that's that's what happened. Good. That's why it went to, it went to court. Yeah. <laughs> Three to one decision. You know, you may, she basically the, yeah, the judges. Yeah, that's an overreach hardcore. Yeah, the judges said, you know, you need to have a little thicker skin. And did she then flip him off in the courtroom? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about that. That'd be little much but i just thought it was interesting yeah i know so you know if if you're inclined to use hand gestures when people you know i when i was younger probably it would it would bother me a little bit but i have people flip me off i was i was driving down the freeway in the fast lane going above the speed limit so i was like the speed limit was 55 i was doing 60 yeah. And this guy went around me, buzzed around me, and then flipped me off as yeah. he, you know. And I'm like, really? In the first place, he's confused because he's flipping me off and really what it means. I'm a guy. He's a guy. Okay. See, I don't do that. Okay. So so he's, he's confused to begin with. Sure. But aside from that, he's just showing his uh, general uh, ignorance 
uh, when you do something like that. Now, you do know that that term, F-U, that is associated with the action of flipping someone off, doesn't actually, it's not inviting a sexual encounter between you and that person. You do get that, right? Really? Just making sure, because you're like, he's confused. Well, he is confused. I mean, I was, I used to, when I was a kid growing up, and you would have, you know, like, uh, girls flip people off or whatever, you know, it's like. Do do you understand what you're saying? But I don't think that they think that. I don't I, think they, I, I that, know they don't think that way. But I think that way. But that's not what it actually means. Well, no, it's not. It's, it's not colloquially correct. Well, it's it's. I don't think it's an appropriate deal anyway. But no. you know. But so it, anyway, that's the 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 appellate court said. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Let's move on to another one, which is kind of interesting. Right. Um, there was an airplane that was headed to. Malaysia that had to turn around so that it had already taken off and was in flight to Malaysia and had to turn around because a passenger forgot her baby. What? <laughs> now, okay. now I see I I have when you hear these stories about people leaving their kids at uh you know like at uh, rest stops or yeah. leaving their kids at a store yeah or I, I just can't fathom this i mean my wife and i why we, how long was the flight well it doesn't matter when we were when 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 we were when we brought you kids up and you were our responsive this is a baby when you, when we brought you kids up we were like hawks yeah, I understand. And we watched you guys if we were at a if we were at a rest area, if we were everywhere. You don't and understand the concept of being so burnt out that you just don't like never. Never. Okay. I mean, it's extreme. Don't get me wrong. That's but. my that's my child. That's my that's my response. and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to leave them and go, "Oh, yeah." And then come to the realization. I mean, I might that might happen if I run out of the house and I forget my cell phone. But my baby? No way. I, no yeah. way. It's it's a little extreme. It's definitely <laughs> a little extreme. So are you for them turning the plane around? Or should they have taken the child away from the woman and then the woman just goes to Malaysia where she's arrested for child abandonment? I'd go with the rest of her child. Okay. You know, she won't do that again. Right. Do you, you have any idea? The ex- or, or make. How did she lose a baby, her, right? It's or, not like make a her some ty- or make her pay some type of restitution for what it cost to the, turn that yeah. plane around. Is it a toddler or a baby? No, it was a baby. How did, did, was she traveling? I don't understand. Did she set the baby down? Like what? I you know leave it in a stroller. Like, they didn't what are we go into at? the details of you know. They just said that they had to turn the plane around because she forgot her baby at the airport. It's really weird. Like it you, is weird in terms of mobility. Like babies are like slugs. Yeah, you know, it's like there's nothing you can do with them. Yeah, it, it's so it's, it's like she had to be carrying that child at some point I, I, to get to the airport to go through the the inspection to do all that all of those stuff. things. Yeah. And then while she was probably sitting down waiting, she got so excited to get on the plane, to board the plane, <laughs> that that uh, she forgot her baby. She's like, I, I know I'm missing something. Yeah, yeah, it's just crazy. Anyway, okay. The last one I got is, I don't know if you guys have seen the picture of this or not, but uh, there's a, a great picture out there on the internet of some idiot that is parked in front of a fire hydrant, and the fireman had to um, knock out both of the windows in order to get their hose through. And what's what's fascinating about this story is that, first of all, y'all know if if you've got a license to drive, (laughs) you know that you're not supposed to park within 10 feet of a fire hydrant. That's what the law says, and there's a reason. Because uh, those, those fire hoses, 
um, are, are under high pressure. This is not, you know, 45 PSI that goes into your house. These are really high pressure. If you've, if you've ever, um, when I was in the military and, and we had to train uh, for firefighting, and you'd, you'd hold one of those hoses, and it, it takes everything a young person can just to hold that hose with the pressure of water that's coming through there. Yeah. And, and, they, and they literally had to knock the windows out of this car to allow that high-pressure hose uh, to not have it, it uh, you know, bunch up and not do what it needed to. And it's like, you know, what? Uh, so, you know, likely this guy got a ticket besides yeah. having to have his windows replaced. Right, right. And the thought that comes to mind is, you know, what an idiot. Yeah. No, that's that's his bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's his bad. Yeah, so word of warning, if you're tempted to park in, in front of a fire hydrant, don't do it. Don't do it. Cool. All right. That's the three I got for today. Okay. Well, let's move on. Okay, so we got a couple minutes here. Um, let's take some questions. In a world that's constantly changing, how can I? So, this is kind of a complex one, um, but it's, wow, that's a really abrupt ending. Um, it's, what does the Bible teach about the Trinity? Hmm. Well, the, the okay, first of all, if you're going to go to Scripture and you're going to look for the word Trinity, you're going to be disappointed. All right, point one, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. No, it's not in the Bible, and it was actually coined by Tertullian. Yeah, I think so. And Tertullian was a was a uh, attorney turned theologian mm-hmm. when he came to Christ. For Rome. For Rome. And so he coined the phrase Trinity to explain the complex relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when, so when we talk about the Trinity, what we're really talking about is, is an explanation for the uh, relationship that exists uh, in regard to God. So if we go to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, we have allusions to not specific, uh, not specific um, references, but allusions to um, God being more than one. So, for example, his his uh, you know when when in Genesis when it says that you know God created the heavens and the earth, and and the discussion came about let us make man. In our own image, mm-hmm. so there's an allusion to the fact that there's more than one involved in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Let us make more. When you go to um, when you go to the uh, the explanation of what happened when the when the uh, when the Jews were getting ready when they were waiting to cross in to the promised land, and God was trying to get them to see the, 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 the beauty of the promised land that they were entering into from where they had been. So Egypt is kind of dry and, and isolated and not that well. And God was saying, I'm going to take you into this new land where then it's going to be milk and honey and what have you. So when Joshua goes over, he takes a group of men over to spy into the new land. He comes back with a, a cluster of grapes. And the same word verbiage is used for that cluster of grapes that is used to describe God. One, a bunch of grapes, one and yet more than one in the cluster. And so we have throughout Scripture in the Old Testament various allusions to the understanding that that uh, God is is uh, is not singular, 
but that God is uh, plural in relationship. <clears throat> now, when you go into the New Testament, then, uh, there are ten different places throughout Scripture, and I can't name them off the top of my head. The transfiguration is one of them. But um, the baptism of Jesus is another. But there are ten different places within uh, the New Testament where we see the combination of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together in Scripture. And Jesus says blatantly, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And then, in, and so then he goes on to say in the book of John, for example, that not only are he and the Father one, but that the Holy, he must send the Holy Spirit as well, who is the comforter and the, and the helper. So that the, throughout the New Testament, you have the understanding that, that God, as we understand who he has represented him to be, who he has revealed himself to be, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the concept of the three of them in together, each of them functioning within their own specific role, but being fully God in doing so, and being co-equal in doing so, is what is represented in, in the, uh, the concept of the Trinity. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's as simple an answer as I can give you without going into much more complex. It's called the ontological Trinity. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I'll give my explanation for it. It's pretty simple. So, we uh, will work backwards for human beings here. Um, as human beings, we came from something. Um, in order for us to be derivative of something, that something has to be more complex than us. Mm -hmm. um, and 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 in its complexity, it has to have uh, a personhood. Essentially, we have a personhood and we have complex thoughts and so on and so forth. Therefore, if we are to come from something, it also has to have a personhood. Um, mm. It has to be more of a person than we are in that regard. Right. In order for it to be a person, it has to, it has to be relational in nature because we are relational um, and we're derivative of it. So, like, we are... We are ontologically different than it but we come from it so we we have a similar makeup to it even though we're ontologically different and so therefore if that's the case and it's relational um and it's different than us in that we are uh diminished we're um offset of it you know we're we're its offspring in not an ontological sense but in the right. sense of its creation then it also is outside the bounds of the things that we are. And so therefore it is not bound to things like space and time and so on and so forth. Right. If that's the case, that makes it infinite. So if it's infinite, it's more powerful than us. It's bigger, more complex than us and it's relational Then it's infinitely relational. So in order for it to be infinitely relational, it would have to be something that is always in relationship. But since it itself is uh, the largest thing that there is, then it's in relationship with itself mm -hmm. because it is a relational being. Right. So therefore that makes it in relationship with itself at all times. When something is in relationship with itself, it harmonizes. And that harmony is, um, as we understand it through things like music or even just personal experience, that harmony is a separate being than the actual two things that harmonize to create itself. So now you have three distinct, uh, three distinct personalities, at least three distinct personalities within one being that is both infinite and personal and relational and more powerful than we are. Now you take that and you ask yourself what in all of history, um, claims the, those sorts of distinctions. And honestly, the only thing that you have is the biblical version of God. And so the biblical version of God out like lays out 
as he lays himself out in Revelation, he lays himself out as all of those things. The Trinity is just a word, a term that's used to encompass all of those things together. Mm-hmm. Um, so the long and short of it is that God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are three beings of ontological necessity, one essence. Um, in other words, they are all God because in order for God to exist, there would have to be at least three beings. Right. Or, sorry, three persons. There would have to be at least three persons in order for a God um, in in an ontological sense, not like a demigod, not like a, right. not one that comes from nature, you know, not like the Roman gods who actually are under the laws of nature or the Hindu gods who are, uh, you know, there's an infinite number of Hindu gods. They're all under the laws of nature, but I'm talking about something that's outside the realm of space and time. That's not in the box of creation, so on and so forth. In order for that being to exist, it would have to have at least three distinct, um, we'll call them personalities that are in communion with each other on an infinite way. Right. So, we need a term to discuss that. And so we use the term Trinity. It's important to understand that Trinity is different than say a triad because right. it's not three separate um, beings. It's three separate. I'm sorry. In the Trinity, it's not three separate beings. It's one being or one essence with three persons. Right. And, and if you go through history, and you look at other uh, theological systems that exist, there are systems out there that have similarities. For example, the triad, uh, a triad of gods that interact with one another. For, for example, in Egypt, you have uh, you know, Isis, Horus, and uh, Osiris. Osiris, yes. Yeah. yes. So you have, you, know, you have the three there. So there are other... Uh, religious belief systems that have um, triads, um, uh, but what normally happens in those circumstances is that those individual gods, as they are being talked about, are in competition with one another. Yeah, and the the uniqueness of the Trinity, as it is revealed to us in in the Word, is that uh, the the essence of God are these three, and they are in relationship and interact and submit to one another. Right. So that there is no competition. And so they then become the basis for our understanding of the whole world around us. And, and uh, you know, various, indi- well, Josh, you like to say that, you know, the world operates in threes, and, and, mm-hmm. and uh, not to uh, Augustine mm-hmm. developed his theological premise on that very thing, that we have evidence of the Trinity based upon the fact that there are threes um, in almost everything that we see around us in creation. Um, we as individuals, when we understand who we are as God's creation, we understand the uniqueness of who we are based upon uh, how God represents himself in this very unique relationship. So um, that's kind of a nutshell of uh, probably the simplest way to explain the Trinity. Yeah, and let's, so let's, let's be clear about a few things. Um, people often get it get it uh wrong when they say a few things so there's there's a couple like common what we'll call heresies right right, so there's modalism which is the teaching that god basically puts on a mask at different times right and so he acts in different modes so when god the father is god the father he's not god the son or or god the spirit god the spirit well let me say it this way when god presents himself he is either god the fun god the father god the son or god the holy spirit because god the being is putting on a mask of god the father god the son god the holy spirit right that's modalism that's not true and that's why when you take a look at say some people will say the trinity is like water you know where it's like ice at some point or a vapor at some point or uh water or liquid at some point 
that's modalism. It's not actually what, what the right. Bible teaches. Right. Um, you've got varying beliefs like um, Montanism, which teaches that Christ, or Doceticism, which teaches that Christ is, uh, is actually a lesser being than God. Um, so th- those are like common ones, right? That is not what's taught. The other thing that's not true is that Jesus is God the Father and is God the Holy Spirit. That's also not true. I can't remember what the name of it is, but that's also not true either. Jesus, so God the Son, is a different person than God the Father, right. who is a different person than God the Holy, God Spirit. the Holy Spirit. Right. They are all God equally, but they are not the same person. So when Jesus says, you, when, when, when in the Psalms, it's, uh, it talks about God talking to God. It's not God talking to himself as the person God the Father talking to himself. It's God the Father saying to God the Son, who is a different person, but is the same being, Mm -hmm. the same essence, what he says. So we have to be very, so when Jesus talks to his Father and people are like, well, how does that work? Because if Jesus is God, then how can he talk to his Father who's God? Well, it's because Jesus is not God the Father. Jesus is God, but he's not his Father. Right. And God is the father god the father is god but he's not his son jesus is not the same thing as the holy spirit the father and the father is not the same thing as the holy spirit or the son and the son is not the same thing as the father or the holy spirit they are separate and distinct beings who are or separate and distinct personalities who are one being yeah and and this is not something uh, the the position of the church in regard to the Trinity and understanding how God interacts uh, according to what's been revealed to us is not something that has been flippantly come to. Right. But there was much struggle over the periods of hundreds of years yep. as to the position that they were going to finally land on, um, which ended up in being what is known as the Nicene Creed. And there, there was finality given to the position that um, you know that would be acceptable as to try to describe the unique relationship that exists in regard to the Trinity so um, and, and so you know go back and read the Nicene Creed look at how specific it is when it talks about you know uh, the essence of God inside of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three but one essence. And uh, there are some fascinating documents that you can read in, um, in church history as well that will help you to be able to, uh, you know, to understand this. Even, even today, even today, there are groups out there that claim to be uh, Christians within that title right. framework you know I don't like that, but within that title framework, who claim to be Christians who rejected the Nicene Creed and wanted to either follow after Montanism or no modalism or various other isms that were out there in trying to understand who it is that God is and how he represents himself. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to be, you have to be very, very careful uh, when you do, and, and and I would just go further to say that from a, an apologist standpoint, that this is a central issue to looking at pseudo Christian cults and groups that are out there that uh, take great issue with the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism. You know, there there's a whole list of them out there. Yeah, I and C, yeah. like yeah. a yeah, yeah, bunch of them. Okay, so we're going to end our time uh, with you today uh, on that note and uh, a uh, a technical note for your uh, to take to, to to be aware of is that uh, we will not be doing a live program next week as I will not be available. But if you cannot live through your week without having. Uh, the ability to have some input of Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Remember that we do have 
uh, on the Vigilance uh, uh, Radio Network, we do have uh, programs which are available from over the last year. Yeah. And so you can always uh, tune into one of those and kind of recap uh, because much of what we've gone over is, you know, pretty in-depth and uh, not uh, not bad to <coughs> kind of re-digest some things. So if you can't hardly live without having me in your week, that's one way that you can do it. That's right. Our entire archive is online and available. And also on that subject, if you're interested in... Uh, exploring the topic of the Trinity more, there's a whole cross-examination last year that was devoted yeah. to that topic. Yeah. So do you have anything else to say? No, no I'm good. All right. Well, um, so at the end of this week on Sunday at 7 o'clock, we are going to be having our first Tiles, the Young Lectern series, our first Tiles uh, with Caitlin Ebert, who's a young lady that's going to be discussing the topic of naturalism, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it's just basically talking about evolution and and um, whether it belongs being taught in schools. So she's going to come talk about that at 7 o'clock. You're welcome to join us at ABF if you're in Portland. Or if you're not, it's going to be online on the, all the usual channels. And then... Uh, one week after that, Pastor Monty himself is going to be sitting down with Pastor David and myself, and we will be talking about racism in the church um, and dealing with issues of intersectionality and uh, white male privilege patriarchy hegemony within the <laughs> within the church. Um, so if that's of interest to you, which it really should be because that is really prevalent, mm-hmm. um, not that racism is or not, but that the subject is really prevalent, then you should tune in in two weeks. And like I said, uh, a new challenger approaches with Pastor Monty finally joining the season two panel. Um, So yeah, lots of things, uh, lots of things to look forward to. Uh, If you're someone who is seeking answers and you want to know more about your faith or you're new to Jesus Christ in the Bible, check out the help tab at abfpdx or vigilance.blog. Truth Time with Pastor Monty podcast is a resource for Lathia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, and it's a member of their Vigilance Radio Network, a part of the Vigilance Online Ministry, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting resources for the church local and at large. And if you're one of those who's enjoyed this service, remember to like, subscribe, and share our podcast, and remember that you can find it on all of ABF's YouTube pages, Instagram, and Facebook, all of that, and take a second to do that so that you can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which generally is going to to be on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. I am Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.